You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Guess what? My new book. Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds is coming out in October, and you can pre-order the book now. Do you want to learn about your past lives in Egypt, in Rome, in Greece, or did you fly around in a spaceship in another dimension, in another lifetime? You can explore all of this and more in my new book. So thanks in advance for pre-ordering. And we'll be talking more about past lives in ancient lands and other worlds in the coming weeks and months. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Hi, my dear friends. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So we have an amazing guest today. It's Rabbi Rami Shapiro is on the show. He is actually uh, one of the contributors of Spirituality Health Magazine and their host of their podcast. He's got tons of amazing books. We're going to have his website below. Today, we're going to have a conversation about his latest work, which is called Judaism Without Tribalism, A Guide to Being a Blessing to All the Peoples of the Earth. Rabbi Rami, it's such a joy to meet you. Welcome to Healing Arts. Well, thank you, Shelley. It is an honor to be here. I am so impressed um, with all of your books. You've, you've done so many interesting topics. So I wanted to start out, you, you've actually, in addition to obviously being a rabbi, you've studied extensively um, Hinduism and Buddhism. So can you share a little bit about some of these other studies that you've done? Because it's so interesting. Sure. I mean, I love religion. <laughs> it's just totally fascinates me. And I'm convinced that there is a core truth at the mystic heart of all of them. And so I, I look for that and I explore that. But I grew up as a, uh, an Orthodox Jew and didn't find, you know, as a kid, I just didn't find a lot of meaning in it. Um, I observed what I observed out of respect for my mother and father and my grandparents. But I didn't do it as a spiritual practice. I just did it as a cultural norm, I guess. But when I was 16 in high school, two of my 
high school, I guess they called it social studies teachers, maybe it was the history department, but two of these professors, teachers, were uh, got a grant to go to India where they studied Hinduism and Buddhism and mm. a little Taoism, and they came back to teach Hinduism and Buddhism in the high school, our high school. Wow. And I, I took everything. I love these guys. I took all their classes whenever I could, but I took their Asian ones. Uh, they called it Asian civilization. And I just fell in love first with Buddhism and then later with Hinduism. So yeah, I, I went to, you know, they, they taught the introductory kind of stuff, but I was looking for something deeper. So I did, I sought out uh, teachers in those two traditions. I spent years studying Zen Buddhism, uh, both academically and on the cushion. And then I was introduced much later to Swami Atmarupananda, who was my Hindu teacher. I worked with him for 10 years and then was uh, initiated into his order, the Ramakrishna order of, of Vedanta Hinduism in 2012 by his Swami, um, just before his Swami passed away, Swami Swahananda. So yeah, I'm really interested in this stuff. But what interests what interests me is not simply the differences, which are fun. And when I was teaching comparative religion or world religions at the university level, it was good to know the differences and to share them with the students. But my own personal passion is what I call perennial wisdom, and that that's the uh, the mystic truth, or that's the truth at the mystic heart of of all religion. That's what I really love about this new book that you've got out. Um, speaking of religion, let's start there. So what? how do you, after all of this different exploration, define religion? Yeah, I don't. I don't do a good job at it. You know, you know, religion, the word itself comes from the Latin meaning to unite. And so at its best, any religion is about awakening you to your union with the larger reality, call it Allah, call it God, call it whatever you want to call it, the mother nature. But there's this singular reality of which all beings are apart, not apart from, but a part of. And religion tries to, at its best, tries to awaken us to that deep connection, that unity. But that's religion at its best. Mostly religion is not at its best, and it just becomes an organization, a tribe, uh, which can easily fall into tribalism, where you pit one religion against the other under the banner of we have the truth, which is absurd. Um, so I don't know if that helps, but, but again, yeah. at its best, religion is trying to awaken us to truth. At its, at its worst, certainly, but at its most common, it's about belonging to a group that defines the truth in its own way, according to its own tradition. And then you end up with, I think, nonsense. Yeah, I think um, it's it, that's kind of how I've always thought about these things. And that's really the point you're bringing forth in this new work. So when you're talking about the tribalism that exists within Judaism, exactly, you know, tell us more about your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, Judaism posits the notion, like Hinduism does, that there is a singular reality. So, you know, the, in Hebrew it has different names, but there is a singular reality that we call um, Adonai or Yod Vav the unpronounceable name of God. Or, you know, we, we have these Hebrew words for it. 
but there's a singular reality that in that then is reduced to a tribalist deity that chooses the Jews uh, from among all the peoples of the earth. Well, that's ridiculous, right? Whatever this absolute reality is, it doesn't choose. It doesn't dabble in real estate, you know, the Holy Land. It doesn't, I mean, just to broaden it, it doesn't save or damn people. It doesn't, there's no true believer and infidel. There's, there's none of this stuff with that ultimate reality. So when Judaism, and it does in its mystical sense, focus on, when Judaism focuses on that ultimate reality, it is a brilliant path to awakening. When it focuses on itself and why Jews are the chosen and why Judaism is the one way that Jews should follow and all of that, it becomes tribal. And then it can become tribalist when it then tries to impose its will on others. Now, throughout most of Jewish history, Jews were powerless. So we didn't do that, but, or we did it on, you know, on other Jews, you know, we had different ways of being Jewish. We said, you have to do it this way. My, my dad, when I told my father that I was going to become a rabbi, he was not happy. He, he was very involved in the synagogue and really thought you should be a scholar, but not a rabbi. And, uh, but then when I told him I was going to be a reform rabbi, he was outraged. And he said, literally, he said, reform, that's a church. So that's tribalism when he, he just said one denomination is true and all the rest are false or one religion is true and all the rest are false. Um, but when you get to Israel, for example, you find tribalist elements competing with each other all over the place. Um, and, and that happens whenever a religion is politicized, which Judaism is in Israel, Islam is in so many Muslim countries where Christianity has become more and more politicized in the United States as well as elsewhere. Um, when a religion becomes politics, you're on your road on the road to, you know, tribalism, and you know you've got there when a religion has an army. That's when you know it's really bad. When your religion has an army or is seeking an army, you know, either an official army or militia groups or whatever it is. When you want God and your God wants guns, then your religion is in big trouble. And that's tribalism. You're bringing up such a good point because I, I do think that challenge really does exist within all religions because there are certain aspects of every religion on sure. earth that thinks that it is the way and the only way and everything else is, is just yeah. not the way and, and that and, like... And and it they're going to so burn violent. in hell or something. I yes, don't know. right, right. I mean, I've been told that multiple times from different Christians, but then the same Christians who tell me I'm going to burn in hell tell Hindus and Buddhists and other Christians they're going to burn in hell. So it just becomes more and more narrow. But the violence is intrinsic to that kind of religion. There was a, I was driving around, I, I live in a very red, very Trumpist, very uh, fundamentalist Christian part of the country. And I was driving around and there was two bumper stickers on two different cars that just gave me, and I don't know the driver, so who knows what they really think, but this is just their bumper stickers that gave me two, two radically different understandings of Christianity. One said, Jesus loves me and my guns. Right? So there's a kind of Christianity I don't want anything to do with. <laughs> Jesus loves me and my guns. I mean, that's just madness. But the other one 
was something I had never seen before, and I loved it. And it says honk four. They used the letter, the number four, but it was honk four. And then they use this Greek term theotokus. Theotokus is the Greek term for the mother of God. And I am very engaged with the whole concept of the divine feminine. I um, have had lots of experiences with what I call the divine mother, both in Jewish settings and Christian settings and Hindu settings. So to, to see a bumper sticker that says honk for Theotokus, honk for the mother of God. Now, I'm assuming the driver meant Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. But the idea of the mother of God is a universalist idea, universal idea. And I just, I honked at that one. <laughs> I yes. drove away from the guy who had, <laughs> Jesus loves me and my guns, but I really like the other guy. I would like to think that Jesus is a little bit busier than worrying about guns, but <sighs> that's just me. I don't know. You know, what do I know? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's fascinating how uh, Jesus morphed into this uh, gun toting character in america i mean it's a long history it's not it doesn't start here but you know the prince of peace becomes this um general of of war and it's just so it's so interesting but it's and it's based on the fact that believers are afraid i mean none of it comes from a love of god it all comes from the fear of the other you know it doesn't mean not, not necessarily fear of god but a fear of the other a fear of People who don't look like me, think like me, uh, believe Absolutely. what I believe. It's, it's all driven by fear. Whereas God, as the ultimate reality, is fearless. The more in touch you are with the divine, whether it's the divine mother or you know, more amorphous, the, this, the divine itself, the more you're in touch with the divine, the more fearless you become. You don't need guns. You don't have enemies. I mean, you have people with whom you struggle, perhaps, but not someone you want to kill. Um, so, you know, we're in a very strange time in, in religion, and it's not just Christianity, it's all of them in different parts of the world. God and guns have just become enmeshed in one another. Yeah, I, I had a very amazing experience. Um, I went to the Holy Land in 2020, and I kind of, I have my ways of kind of tuning in and deciding when I need to do that. And so I went... Um, from the 1st through the 7th of March, which is exactly like I came home on the same flight that everyone else was trying to um, change their flight to get home because the pandemic had hit uh -huh. and everything was starting to be shut down. And I think, oh, I'm so thankful I got to see that. But what you mentioned a, a bit ago about that energy there, you've got all the world religions there very adamantly engaging in this kind of um, tribalist attitude that you're describing you can really feel the tension there unlike really any other place on earth it's it's just one of the most profound um yeah, spiritual very, places on earth as you know yeah, i mean you know yeah, it's, it's a very powerful place um and very very profound profoundly spiritual when you find yes. the right people but then it can be profoundly frightening when you tap into the wrong people i mean one of the places i love to go when i'm in israel is um, way in the north. It's the town of Sfat, and it's sort of like the mystical capital of, of Israel, but it's also a phenomenal art colony. So you get these elements of spirituality and artistic creativity merging, and some of the people, of course, are very tribalistic, but so many of them 
even if they identify with a specific kind of Jewish mystical practice, the practice has transcended the tribalism. And so they're just these open-hearted, loving people who may not be well-educated in other religious traditions and may have no interest in other religious traditions, but who can present their own tradition, in this case, Judaism, in such a way that you see it is just this heart-filled, loving, compassionate, just uh, way of being in the world. But you have to be in touch with the God beyond the God that the, you know, the, the, the absolute God beyond the relative gods that, that religions promote. Because the relative gods are all about serving the religion and serving them, you know, the God themselves. But the, the absolute God, when you experience that, all you have is love, compassion, justice, fearlessness. I mean, that's, that's the result. So it's a great place to go. I, I try to, get, whenever I get to visit Israel, I go there. But then you can find a similar kind of openness, I think, uh, in the Baha'i Center. I always mm. go to visit the Baha'i, uh, whose religion is, I mean, it comes out of, they may not say this, but it, it's, I would say it comes out of Islam. The Bab and the Baha'u'llah and Baha'u'llah were, you know, from that lineage. And then they, they had this insight, bringing uh, sort of a, a universalist message uh, to the people among whom they lived, and using, you know, their, their cultural norms as a, as a starting point. But they're, they're, Baha'i is a beautiful, powerful, loving, and social justice-oriented tradition. And its headquarters is in Haifa, in Israel. So visiting there, and their oh. thing is gardens. I mean, you walk the Baha'i gardens, and it's just so powerful. I mean, they have their limits also, given when they were created in the 1800s. They have their limits, especially when it comes to what I would consider egalitarian, uh, you know, the role of women and and, and being egalitarian, they're still struggling with some of that. But still, it's it's such an, a, a rich place to to experience the, the holiness of God. And there there are mosques and churches that that do the same throughout the country. It's fantastic. And then there are people who, like this one Anglican um, tour guide I met from the Anglican community officially recognized as an Anglican tour guide, uh, told me when the uh, mosques, when, when the, the um, call to prayer was coming from the mosque, he called it noise. And he said, whenever he hears that noise, he just sings hymns to blot out the noise of, of Islam. I mean, that's a horrible thing. And he was coming to that from, you know, he, that's what he got from his Christianity, which is so sad. Um, because that's not Jesus's message, and that's not the true mystic message of the Christian uh, uh, path, you know, spiritual path. But that's what he got, and that's what he was promoting. And so, so you find the sublime and the horrifying in Israel right. at, this, at the same time. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think all of the all of the religions have beautiful teachings, I think. And you know, most people are good people. I really have always believed that. Yeah, I don't know about that. But <laughs> I will I, say I still at least try to believe that. I don't know. I'm not I'm no. not going to I'm not going to guess whether that's really true. I think most people are broken. I think most people are struggling. Um, but I do think that every religion has the, its own expression of um, 
you know, its own spiritual articulation of the of the the oneness of the divine and compassion and justice. And the differences are flavors, but the actual, you know, the the core message is the same. I mean, that's what perennial wisdom is. I mean, perennial right. wisdom is the fourfold truth at the mystic heart of every religion. And I mean, it's real simple. I mean, no, first truth is what we've already said. Everything is a manifesting of this one thing, call it what you will. Number two, human beings, and maybe others, but human beings have an innate capacity to awaken in, with, and as this non-dual reality. Number three, when you have that awakening, you can only engage other beings uh, you know, from the golden rule or, or, you know, what the Bible says in um, Genesis 12, three, the Bible calls you to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And that's what you're called to do when you realize that all these families are your family. You're part of the family of, you're part of the family of, of elephants and you're part of the family of, of humans. And you're part of all these different uh, families. Uh, and, and you want to honor them by being a blessing to them, by helping them thrive, which is something that most people don't do. I mean, God, what we're doing to the planet is, right. I mean, it's, it's a kind of suicide for, for us, but it's a kind of homicide to, to other beings. I mean, it's, I, it's not even a kind of, it's, it is, it's homicide. It's suicidal for humans and homicidal for, for other creatures and, and other aspects, you know, and trees and, and nature as a whole. So, um, and then the fourth point of, of perennial wisdom is from the human point of view, uh, awakening to the fact that you are a manifesting of the divine and living your life guided by the golden rule and the ideal of being a blessing. Those two things together comprise uh, the, the highest calling of any human being. We're not here to make money. We're not here to rule what? people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I only say that because I haven't Let's made any money. Let's get the memo out. Um, <laughs> I think just, it needs to be widely distributed. Excuse. Yeah, that's just an excuse. Well, I haven't made any money, so that can't be the mission. Yeah, but but I the mission that. is to be a blessing, and and every religion will tell you that when it's free from its um, fear-based tribalism, it'll tell you that. Absolutely. So you have a foundation also called One River Foundation. Tell us about that. Yeah, I founded One River back in 2000. Uh, the term comes from a Peter Yarrow song called The River of Jordan, Peter, Paul, and Mary. And yes. the, the, I can't give you the whole chorus, but it's, there is only one river, there's only one sea, it flows through you, it flows through me, we are only one people, you know, it goes on to, uh, it, it's a song about, about non-duality and all of that. Uh, so uh, I, I happen to have uh, a friend who lives just a couple blocks from Peter, Paul, and Mary's office or agent's wow. office. So I walked down there one day when I was visiting her. I walked down to the office and I said, "Hey, I want to create this foundation. It's not profit. We're not going to make any money. You know, I'm <laughs> using your song, but could we get permission to use the River of Jordan as our theme song?" And they said, "We have to ask Peter." And he sent a letter saying, yeah, go ahead, use it. So we've been using the title, you know, since for 20, over 20 years. Wow. And, and our, the purpose, I mean, it's changed over time. I didn't know what the purpose of it was when I founded it. I just liked the name. Uh, but now the purpose is, is clear. If you go on our website, our purpose is to teach perennial wisdom, those fourfold truths that I just outlined. That's really all we do. Because we think 
I'm meaning me and, and my, my co-director, uh, Frank Levy, we think that um, humanity is in desperate need of this mystic truth, uh, not just as an idea, but as a felt reality, that we are going through this terrible dark night of the soul, both as yeah. individual humans, but as a, as a species, as a society, uh, this, this crucifixion of, of human civilization. And it's caused by tribalism. And the way out is to reclaim this perennial wisdom that's been around for tens of thousands of years. We'll be right back. Journeys Through the Akashic Records is coming out on Friday, July 8th, and I just can't wait. In this book, you will receive 40 guided journeys that span my 20 years as a past life regressionist. You will take journeys to help you find the answers within yourself to some of your life's biggest questions. And if you're up late on Thursday, July 7th, I will be speaking with my friend George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM. We'll be talking about journeys through the Akashic Records. So I want to thank you in advance for pre-ordering this book. It just means the world to me. And I will look forward to seeing you soon. Namaste. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. So we're talking about this idea of tribalism, which I think we both agree is not only um, a challenge through Judaism, but maybe every religion on the planet. So what is going to happen Rabbi, if we cannot get this under control, if we can't start thinking wow. about that divine oneness that exists so, in all things. So the answer to that is simple. We're going to just devolve into an ever-darkening, fearful, violent, um, civilizational death. If we can't you know, uh, change the, the, the trajectory of our spirituality, we're, we're just doomed. But I don't think that's necessary. I think what happens in humanity in general is that we have, you know, some people think, you know, human evolution is, is a, just a, it's a straight line, it just gets better and better, 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 better. I don't think that's true. I think it's a spiral. And it can spiral up, or it can spiral down. And what makes it go one way or the other is our capacity to see the truth of what I'm calling perennial wisdom. But you know, what the mystics in each tradition have their own words for it, but the mystic heart of things. When you see that, the human civilization is circular to the extent that we deal with the same perennial problems all the time. You know, how to be just, how to be kind, how to be, I mean, those things are constant. But our answers to them, if we're evolving in the spiral, our answers are, are such that our circle of compassion expands as our uh, 
as, as our levels of consciousness expand, the more, the more I am aware, um, the more I can shift from the egoic consciousness that's just about me and mine and us and them and that kind of thing, the more I can shift from that egoic consciousness to the divine mind, to the mind that doesn't see us and them, but sees all of us together, humans and others, other all beings, the more I can shift from, from that level of consciousness, that lower egoic level to a higher level, the more broad the, the turning becomes and my, my compassion is for greater and greater circles of people, if that makes sense. So the spiral goes up and out. That's the hope. And it's not going to happen if we just sit around and go, oh, I, it's going to happen. Let's not worry about it. It's going to happen if we can get enough people engaged in contemplative practice of one kind or another, working. I mean, there's lots of things you can do. Start rediscovering the mystics in your own tradition, uh, taking on these contemplative practices that every tradition has, finding something that opens you to higher levels of, of awareness. And if we can get to a tipping point, and I don't know what that is, but enough human beings who are engaged in this mystic spiritual awakening, then the spiral goes up. But if we can't, if we just become more and more fearful, if it's all about uh, you know, hating, again, hating people of, of different gender, different race, different ethnicity, different religion. I mean, if it's all about hate, we are doomed and there is no hope. But it's never about hate when you're dealing with the mystic insights of our traditions and the mystic practices that uh, these amazing saints and sages have taught us throughout the centuries. So I'm hopeful if people are engaged in that, and I'm not hopeful if they're not. And that's and so right now work. for you, it's up for grabs. You don't know. I guess none of us really I, do. But. We don't know. I mean, my work is, I mean, One River is devoted to teaching the perennial wisdom and practices that make it bring it alive in your life. My, my entire career, um, both as a, you know, a student of the world's religions and as a practitioner of the world religions and as a rabbi, my entire career has been about promoting this mystic understanding that lifts us up and out, you know, in, in fields, larger fields of compassion, rather than bring us down into the more and more tribal and ultimately tribalistic elements of of any tradition. So it can be done. Whether people will do it, I don't know. I'm hopeful that it'll that if they enough people try, it'll will survive this. But I think in the short run, it's going to get worse. Yeah. It's going to get worse. And the way you go through this is by, regardless of what's happening, not giving into the fear and anchoring yourself not just in the ideas of perennial wisdom, but in practice. And we should talk about, you know, what people can do uh, yes. because, you know, practice is, is, is essential. I mean, these ideas are wonderful and, and I'm a five on the Enneagram. So I love ideas, but I know that you have to actually bring them alive through practice. Uh, and so again, what are some of the suggestions? Yeah, there are so many different practices, different religious traditions, but they, I think you can put them in various generic categories. So there's sitting practice. That, and again, there's different versions of this. But spending time, and not a lot of time, but spending 20 minutes a day, maybe twice a day, whatever works for you. I mean, look, 10 minutes is better than nothing. So spending some time today simply being quiet in silence 
And then I would say listening, because in, in my own understanding of, of Judaism, one of the major practices is listening for what the King James Bible calls the still small voice that you know, talks about in, uh, and in First Kings where Elijah hears the still small voice of God. You and I can hear the still small voice of God. I, the Hebrew maybe is better translated as the fragile voice of silence, but people will recognize what I'm talking about. In, um, in Judaism, the, we have this mantra you know, of the Shema here, you know, hero Israel, uh, the divine, which is God, the divine is one. Um, so I use that as a centering. I say that a few times just to center into the silence. And then I just do what it says, Shema, I listen. And what happens is, and, and there's a Hindu version of this called uh, Nada Yoga, Sound Yoga. There's a Buddhist version of this. Everyone has a version. Every tradition has some form of this practice of sitting in silence and listening. And what you hear ultimately is, in a sense, the hum of aliveness manifesting as all things. It sounds a little bizarre, but, but you actually hear a sound that isn't being generated inside your head or by something outside of you. It's, it's just this sound. And if yeah. you hear it, and it's, it's a matter of just listening, it's not, you don't do anything. But if you hear it, you can just focus on that and it just deepens your relaxation and opens you up to the, the larger reality of which you are part. Another practice is mantra. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in Sanskrit, it's Nama Japa or Mantra Japa, Japa being the re repetition. So Nama Japa is the repetition of a name of God. So Ram, Ram, or uh, Hare Krishna, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you have, uh, uh, that's Nama Japa, the name of God. Then you have, and some Christians uh, use Jesus that way, just saying Jesus over and over again. Right. Mantra japa is a phrase, the same practice, but it's with a phrase. So uh, in the Orthodox Christian traditions, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, they use the Jesus mantra, which is, um, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. And they say that over and over and over again, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. There's different, you know, none of it's in English, it's in Greek, but still in the English translation. And you just repeat that over and over again. It's what St. Paul called praying, uh, you know, ceaseless prayer, praying without, without end. And you just fill your day with that prayer while you're doing whatever else it is you're doing. And it changes your, your, your mind, literally. Um, in in the, the Greek, Paul talks about metanoia, which literally means changing your brain. And in the Jewish mystical understanding of this concept of changing the brain there there are two minds of that we are that we have we humans have one of them is called i guess found out the hebrews of people can hear but mohin mind mohin de katnut katnut means narrow so you have this narrow mind which is your egoic mind the mind that's trapped in i me mind self you know all that selfishness but that's the smaller mind, the narrow mind. You have this other mind called Mohin de Godlut, spacious mind, uh, which is, is the mind of is the divine mind, if you want, or the mind of the universe, you know, however you want to say it. But it's the mind that recognizes we are all one in, with, and as the divine. 
And so you want to make the shift from the narrow to the spacious. And one way to do that is from is through mantra chanting. So I have both a, a mantra practice where the, I, I repeat a phrase over and over again. And I, I have a nama japa practice where you repeat a name of the divine over and over again. And I spend time during the day uh, formally sitting with a you know mala with beads and counting them out and and reciting the names and then I spend I don't want to say off time or downtime that computers have that people don't but I spend time when I'm not focused on something in particular and I have the time to just to sit and be quiet and I'm not going to be doing listening practice for whatever reason I can you know I'm washing dishes or I'm walking my dog you can do uh, a mantra practice in those spaces too. And my experience, now I've been doing this a long time, but my experience is whatever my state of mind body is, uh, no matter how anxious I am or angry I am or whatever it is, if I start the mantra practice, everything changes for me personally, not the situation around me, but my reaction to it. Uh, I mean, I can give you examples, but the idea is, is should be clear. If I'm like this, and I immediately use one of the mantra I use is harachaman, calling upon the, uh, the divine attribute of compassion. So I do it in Hebrew, but you're saying compassion, compassion, compassion. And, and it's sort of Pavlovian. You know, I'm like this, harachaman, right. harachaman. As soon as I start, my breathing changes. And I can't, you know, my hand, my fists unclench, you know, metaphorically as well as physically. My whole body just opens and I'm much more receptive to what's ever happening around me and much better equipped to deal with it because I'm not dealing with it from this. I'm dealing with it from, you know, an embrace. So um, these are easy practices to learn. They're not difficult. Uh, in fact, I didn't read the article, so I don't know what the article is about, but I think in and you know, today is August 30th. I think it's in today's New York Times. There's an article that says, you can't fail at mantra. <laughs> you can just not do it. But if you do it, it's just going to work because it works on you. It's not that you're doing this. You're just repeating it. And there's something about the repetition that causes the transformation. So those are two practices, listening and then some kind of mantra work. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I've used mantras. Um, I went to Nepal and, you know, everyone there is saying, Om Mani Padme Om. So right. Same thing. I've got a 20 hour layover. It's going to be painful. <laughs> I can suffer or I can just go into my space. You know, it makes it very tolerable. Like you said, like those clenching fists certainly do open when they get distracted, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And the sound that you talk about, the bass sound, I, I hear that. I've heard that for years. And yeah, if people... Yeah. I think people just again they have to just sit still for a moment which i think is very difficult very but difficult. if they will um the divine is knocking at the door yeah. i think well i mean ultimately there's no door it's just <sighs> all god you know narrow mind spacious mind the fear and really is all part of the divine process it's just which is going to be more helpful than the other and i think the loving is better than the fearful absolutely absolutely 
Rabbi Rami, it's been a complete joy and an honor to have you on the show. Your books are incredible. We're going to put your websites below. Um, I just wish you great success and continued joy and peace. And, and thank you for what you're doing. You're helping a lot of people and um, mm -hmm. highly recommended for people to go check thank out. Thank you, Shelley. Your you're also doing this wonderful work uh, with the podcast and the things you do on the outside. So thank you for having me on your show. It's been a joy. So friends, please check out Rabbi's books. We will have the links below and just know I'm keeping you in my thoughts and prayers as we continue through this very interesting time in humanity's history. And I will see you next time on the next episode of Healing Arts. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady, or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.